light of infinite. I visualize what it is, not what it isn't. Nas. The first Pasuk verse of this week's parasha, this week's Torah portion, Acharemot, reads, Ve'idaber Hashem el Moshe Acharemot. Hashem spoke to Moshe after the death of Aaron's two sons, Nadav and Avihu, who drew close to Hashem and died. Or HaChaim explains that the sins of Nadav and Avihu were very different from sins as we generally understand them. He explains that their sins involved allowing themselves to cling to Hashem, this sort of devekut, this clinging, this attaching oneself, so totally that their souls simply left their bodies. It's written, who drew close to Hashem and died, because it was their drawing close to Hashem that caused their death. We are tasked with reaching towards divesting oneself of materiality, but the spiritual ascent must be balanced. There's the concept of Ratzo Veshov, which means to run and to return. That Ratzo must always be coupled with Shov, with return. So Ratzo being the state of Devekut, longing to cleave to Hashem, the insatiable desire of the Nishama, the soul, to transcend its material existence, to run forward and to cling and cleave to its source. Shov is the Nishama, the soul's awakening and determination to return and fulfill its mission, using the body, making the physical world a dwelling place for God. This explains Chazal, our sage's statement, against your will, you live. As much as our souls yearn to leave our bodies, it's our mission to fulfill the task that can only be done with the soul utilizing and elevating the body. Nadav and Avihu's sin was abandoning the Shov, the return, the mission of this world. The Lubavitcher Rebbe explains that their yearning was not balanced with a commitment to worldly service. We might not have the same struggle on the level of worrying about our souls ascending so high that they might not return to our body, but in our own world, we need to balance our spiritual and material pursuits. As it's stated in the Talmud, just as we are amply rewarded for performing avodah in the service of Hashem, so too at times we are rewarded for refraining if what we are looking to attain is beyond our spiritual grasp. As we can all feel, everything, especially wellness, is about balance. But how do we feel balanced? How do we control our thoughts, lessen our anxiety, and become more present? Anxiety is born of worry of what might be. Faith is trusting the process and future while focusing on the moment. I post photos of my moments when I'm feeling elated being around my kids and watching how much of life they are loving. It's almost ironic snapping a photo because it breaks the moment for a second, but I want to capture them in these priceless memories. Often I'll post them later on my social with the caption, life can be so precious when we're present. Even taking a photo can be a way of being present, not just appreciating a moment, but taking action inspired by how in it we really are. So many other moments we are present in the body, but in the mind, we're somewhere else. Balance is about being present. When we start to drift to the future or past or what ifs and should haves, that breeds anxiety and takes away from enjoying the short amount of time we are gifted in this world to find and create our purpose, and to shine and share light and love. Easier said than done, anxiety is so prevalent throughout humanity and rears its ugly head in so many different ways, even crippling in more extreme circumstances. In those moments, it seems we all share a sort of long-term memory loss that actually we have gotten through to the other side each time. Our mantra should be that things will continue to work out as they always have. Because if things are bitter in the moment or might turn sour in the near future, what is often followed down the line is an epiphany and the clarity of why it wasn't for you. That's why saying hindsight is 2020 is so popular, because when we are uncertain and faithless, we can't see what's meant for us with any sort of clarity. We are far from 2020 when in that space, but as time passes, we often clearly see that everything played out as it was meant to be. 
The saying means it's easier to analyze and evaluate situations clearly when we're looking back on them in the past, when we're in the present moment. Last week, we read about the two birds in the purification of Mitzorah atoning for Lashon Hara, for negative speech. One is for Tahara, purity, and the other is sent away. This week, we read in Acharemot about the Seirim, translated as goats. Hairy male goats, goat demons, or in this case, scapegoats for Yom Kippur. One is for Hashem and the second for Azazel. This happens after the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, bathes and puts on sacred linen garments as it's written, Then he shall take the two Seirim, stand them in front of God at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and Aaron shall place lots on the two Seirim, one lot for God and one for Azazel. Then Aaron shall bring forward the Seir for which the lot of God came up, and he shall make the reparation offering. And the Seir for which a lot for Azazel came up, it shall stand alive in front of God to make atonement upon it, and he shall send it to Azazel in the wilderness. As we read, one of the Seirim, goats, would be elevated as a holy sacrifice and the other sent to the desert to die. Sforno explains that the one that carries all the sins of B'nai Israel is not fit to be sacrificed because of the amount of tumah of impurity it carries. In a general sense, or what it looked like as karma, punishment is the consequence of sin, as it's stated in Yir Miyahu, your own wickedness will punish you. That is, if actions in Teshuvah and return in repentance and actions in Tara in purity are not taken. The Sirim serve two purposes. One is to transfer the impurities of the person to the animal, which releases the person from the punishment that karma brings. The Seir, the goat that is sacrificed in the Beit HaMikdash in the Holy Temple, atones for deliberate sins related to the Beit HaMikdash. But the Seir for Azazel, also called the Goral, the lot that is cast, carries with it the rest of the sins of B'nai Israel, As it's written, And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the living Seir, and he shall confess over all the crimes of the Israelites and their transgressions for all wrongdoings. And he shall place them on the head of the Seir and send it by the hand of the designated man into the wilderness. Then the Seir will carry off all the crimes on itself to cut off land. He shall send out the Seir into the wilderness. Some commentators point out to the similarity in the name and the allusion to Mount Seir, the home of Esav and the Seir. The bird last week and the Seir in this week's parasha that are sent away as a sort of gift to the forces of Tumah, of impurity, which are personified by Esav and the Sar, the angel associated with him. The Barbanel teaches that the two Sirim symbolize the eternal struggle between Yaakov and Esav, between Jacob and Esav. All the stories of the Torah are actually the stories in our own lives. We are all a microcosm of the universe. These stories playing out inside of us, just as we play out life as a sort of story in the expanse of reality. We all have Esav and Yaakov in us. Their struggle is our own. We need to defeat the parts that are Esav's within us. And the two birds and the two goats are manifestations of both this struggle and steps towards its rectification and elevation. We learn in the Talmud that the mitzvah is to take two goats that are similar in age, height, and appearance. Rab Natan teaches that regardless of their being almost identical, one is dedicated to Hashem and the other to Azazel. And in a similar fashion, falsehood and truth can sometimes seem identical, being hard to differentiate. Seirim represents Seir, hair, reminding us that a hair's breadth is all that separates between holiness and the opposite. And in the same way we relied on Hashem for which goat was for holiness and which for the Sitra Akra, the other side, we need to pray for the same clarity for Hashem to show us the difference between falsehood and truth. Everything in this world has the power for good or for evil, for elevation 
or degradation, just as we read about with the two goats. Even with air and breathing, there's Kedusha and Sitra Achra. Rab Nachman of Breslov teaches that there are two lifelines that we can draw in when we breathe in air. One is the lifeline of Kedusha and the other of Tumah, of impurity. The righteous draw in pure air, while the evil draw in impure air. To survive, we need to draw air from one of these two channels. When a person regrets their misdeeds and decides to do tshuva, to return, they sever their link with the impure source of air and begin to breathe fresh, new air from the source of holiness. As we learn in the Talmud, when one repents out of love, his sins become like merits. So much of staying grounded in truth and being balanced is letting go of all the cacophony that surrounds and tries to distort being truly present in the experiences and moments we find ourselves in. The power of nigunim of melodies when sung in a group of people is that when we use our breath to connect making music with the instrument that sustains us, our breath, our voice, we connect to our essence and the essence of those around us. It's a moment when we shift from thinking or overthinking to letting go of the extraneous and bringing our breath outward to awaken our soul. We tend to lose ourselves while inspiring others at the same time. I'll leave you with what feels like a mantra to me. It's Pharrell's song, ESP. Detach yourself, let go, let go. Be back yourself, let go, let go. Be seen as yourself, let go, let go. Beam as yourself. Scream as yourself, let go, let go. And be king of yourself. Dive in deeper at lightofinfinite.com.